Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Tukey's Take Podcast. We are back again. Not all of us, though. Endo, where are you? How could you miss this one? I am joined, of course, by Mr. Sim for the win and our special guest today. Long time coming on this one. Um, I I tried to debate how much to hype this up, right? Like, <laughs> Is it too far to say hockey royalty? It might be. But he's an Emmy winner. Seattle Kraken and Chicago Blackhawks fans will know him very well. He is the voice of the Seattle Kraken's official podcast, Signals from the Deep. And somehow, some way a fan of mine for some amount of time. I don't know how that's a thing. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Nick Olchek joining well, us on the show. Uh, Tugi, that's, uh, that's a very uh, gracious intro. Uh, I should start off by saying your... Uh, your check or your bits are in the mail, so thank you very much, <laughs> thank uh, you, sir. I, uh, I I appreciate it. It's a uh, big fan of you, uh, the work you do, uh, your content, live streaming, and uh, I've been been a big fan for a long time. And the NHL, you know, EA Sports NHL community, which is something that I've never really delved into in terms of posting content, but uh, I've always been a big fan of playing the games and and things of that nature. So thanks a lot for having me on and Sin, great to, great to meet you and looking forward yeah. to a great conversation to, to cover a lot of different things today. Yeah. yeah likewise. A, I mean, today, obviously we're going to get into, uh, for the most part, the Metro, but we will leave plenty of time, of course, to, uh, you know, kind of talk about your background a bit and especially what you do now with the Seattle crack. And no wonder why you might be a little bit too busy for the content creation <laughs> side of things. Uh, you are a man of, of many hats in the, uh, in the hockey world right now and in general like i guess that's kind of where we can start things off i will get to some viewer questions here in a minute because i know there are quite a few of them especially related to the whole you know job with the kraken at this stage but just how has that been over the last year or two at this stage now just the whole idea of you know you kind of got your start within the chicago organization uh, working with the Indy Fuel a lot, I know that. Mm-hmm. And then obviously you make this big jump to Seattle, and it's been, I mean, from what I can tell from the outside looking in, a really perfect fit, especially with what you've been able to start up with the podcast. Yeah, it has been uh, an unbelievable run uh, to this point, and and hopefully a run that's uh, that's far from being over. Uh, for as much passion as I have for the game of hockey, it's it's been my life. Uh, my uh, lovely and talented mother always says that I was born with a stick in my hands. Uh, I don't know if that's possible or sanitary, but I guess we'll I guess we'll go with it. But uh, obviously, the you know the the fa- my family being in the game, uh, my dad uh, playing in the National Hockey League for 16 years and, and being one of the voices of the game for the last 17 or 18 years at both the regional, local, and and then the national level too. Uh, but obviously, I mean, it was it was a natural progression for me to want to play hockey because uh, my dad did, because my two older brothers did. Uh, my sister did not, but she was certainly around uh, watching with us and, and things like that. Um, but I think maybe one thing that people don't know and, and why I really am living my dream now with the job that I have is when I was seven, eight, nine to like 18 before life really started to get, you know, really, really busy is I would play video games all the time. And the staple video game for me was 
EA Sports NHL, whether it was NHL 9, 10, 12, the great 14, whatever it is. And so when I would play, I would broadcast as I played. I would do play-by-play. I would do color. I would even, after each period ended, I would give myself a little seven or eight minute slot to do a little intermission report um, <laughs> and, a, and a little post-game uh, uh, reprieve as well. Uh, so I didn't know if I was playing the game because I love to play the game or if because I love to broadcast. And the one thing I realized is that I couldn't play and not broadcast. So there were times where it was two in the morning uh, on a summer night and uh, my mom comes and bangs on the door and says, go to bed, go to bed. I, you know, and I'm just like, I'm, I'm practicing. So it really, I think for me, it was just kind of this innate uh, passion for talking about the game of hockey, for breaking it down, for explaining it, making the complex a little bit more simple and entertaining for both hardcore hockey fans and also first time hockey fans. Uh, to be able to enjoy, but um, I still do it from time to time. Obviously, a little bit more busy nowadays, but um, you know, to kind of maybe give a little spark notes for those who might not know, uh, kind of how I got to be here in Seattle. Uh, started playing hockey when I was real young, three, four, five years old. Uh, moved away from home at 16 to play in the United States Hockey League uh, for a couple of years. Ended up playing four years of junior, uh, and then moved into uh, play Division One college hockey at Colorado College. Uh, was there for a freshman year, was there for a sophomore year, um, and just kind of felt um, that I think my, my, my playing days had kind of uh, run out. And I think the exciting part for me, though, that was the most difficult decision I ever had to make, was to stop doing something all I ever knew what I did for 19 or 20 years. Um, but I always knew that, okay, even if I were somehow – able to make the NHL. And I was, I was never a star player. I was, a I was a bottom six depth guy, kill penalties. But the one thing I could do is I could win a face off. Now, I think if, if I had to create myself realistically in the game, I'd probably be a mid seventies overall, but I'll tell you what guys, that face off uh, attribute <laughs> that, that would be pushing 90 for sure. That's the one thing. Uh, that's the one thing I could do, especially in the college days. Um, a lot so of anyway, people. What, yeah. A lot. Of, sorry to cut you off. A lot yeah. of people patting their game off of the stars, and you're looking at someone like Vernon Fiddler, and it's like, that's my guy. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever Have you ever talked to Jamie Baker about this? Because that was his big thing too. How he got a lot of his ice time was, uh, you know, winning faceoffs and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I have not. I have not uh, had the, had the pleasure of, of talking uh, talking about that. Um, but I, but I do know for the games that I played in college, a lot of my uh, ships were. 15, 20 seconds where it was win the faceoff in the D zone. Once we break it out, get right off the ice and yeah. get the guys that could move and score and skate, uh, get them on the ice. But, um, you know, in my younger years, I could play. You know, I definitely had, had ability. But obviously, the, the higher you get, uh, that, the pyramid gets really, really thin at the top. Yeah. Um, so anyway, w- once, I left, once I left college after my sophomore year, I, I really – my plan was then to go to, like, the best broadcasting school I could. So it was like, okay – I can go to Syracuse or USC or Northwestern, something to try and, um, you know, be able to kind of take that next step. And by the time I made the decision to leave, uh, the transfer deadline had passed. And none of those schools did like a winter start, half year start, anything like that. So I knew I was going to be a year out of going to school. So I figured, okay, how do I make the most of my time? Move back home to Chicago. 
uh, and ended up linking up with the Indy Fuel of the ECHL, who uh, were and still are owned and run by Jim Hallett, the great owner there, who gave me my first opportunity uh, to be a broadcaster. And for three years there, I worked with Andrew Smith, who's been doing their games for a long, long time, Indiana hockey historian, and he helped me out uh, an incredible um, amount of times in terms of allowing me to flourish and allowing me to develop the style that I have. So I ended up doing Indy for, for three years. And while I was driving down to Indy about every weekend or every other weekend during the hockey season from Chicago, about three and a half, four hour drive every weekend, go down and do a couple of games. Um, during the week, I was working for NBC Sports Chicago, which was where the Blackhawk games were televised on in the tape room, cutting highlights, uh, adding different telestrations to goal replays. And then that would be submitted or uh, kind of shown to the in-studio analysts that we had that night, whether it was Patrick Sharp or Jamal Mares or Steve Conroy or so on and so forth. Um, and then also doing some similar work uh, with the Olympics and with TNT in that regard. Uh, and so in terms of having a background in not only broadcasting, uh, but also what goes on in the production room, what goes on in the truck, uh, I think has been very, very valuable for me. Um, and getting to start with the Chicago Blackhawks, man, that, that was just nothing short of a dream come true. I mean, to be able to work for uh, the team that you grew up living and dying with uh, was, was super special. And obviously the circumstances were, were heartbreaking with Troy Murray having gone through cancer around that time and going through treatment and uh, them needing to, uh, to have some of his duties and uh, roles filled. Um, they said, hey, we'd love to give you a three-game trial run. And that season, three games turned into about 40 by the end of the year, which was a dream nice. come through doing radio, doing a little bit of TV. Um, and so that was certainly uh, a real, uh, I think, a momentous season and memorable season for me, being able to work for them and then getting the opportunity to come out here to Seattle this this last season was, I mean, it was, look, it was scary. I mean, if I'm being honest, it was scary because anytime you go to a new market, you got to prove yourself all over again. Uh, you're in a new place. You're 2,000 miles away from home, from family, from friends. Um, but the Kraken organization the Kraken fans, the community could not have made the jump any smoother. Uh, and what the team did last year, which I'm sure we'll get into, speaks for itself. And to be part of that and to be part of something that is still very much at the beginning and building here um, is incredibly exciting to be part of. So long-winded in terms of my career, uh, it's been a whirlwind. Uh, I still wake up every day and, and pinch myself that not only am I in the National Hockey League, but I'm in the role that I've always dreamt of. I don't take it for granted. Uh, I know I'm, if not the youngest, one of the youngest to, to, to do it currently, and I take pride in that, but also know that it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a business, and you're always trying to evolve and get better and, and adapt and, and always have your ear to the ground and your eyes open. But um, it's, I mean, I'd rather be doing nothing else than any other sport uh, in any other place. So I'm having an absolute blast uh, so far. I did want to ask, uh, rewinding a little bit back to when you were a, a youngster and, and, you know, playing the game and doing your own broadcast, did you ever record yourself doing that? So you could listen back and like, try to learn from that. Was that ever a thing you did? Or is that a, uh, cause I mean, as someone who had, it, it was in a similar vein in that sense, I used to have a little, like one of those little what was it like a Sony playback thing? Like the speaker with the mic attached to it. And I'd like record myself doing things, either playing with like my starting lineup action figures or something. So was that something that you ever did? 
It was not. Uh, I I think looking back, I maybe wish I would have. And there's always those great stories of play-by-play guys in the National Hockey League, really all of sports now, when it's whether it's Kenny Albert or the Hall of Famer Doc Emmerich telling the stories about how you'd go sit up in the rafters of a of a you know a minor league hockey game, and you'd have the kind of the voice recorder there, (laughs) and he would broadcast, and then he'd go and review it. Uh, I I never um, recorded any of the ones that I did when I was when I was playing games. Um, but I think once I got to working for the Indy fuel, it became obsessive for me where after every game I would do before I would go to sleep that night, I'd watch the whole game back and I would pick apart different things. I'm my own biggest critic. I am always trying to improve certain things, uh, say things a little bit differently, add to the vocabulary, but, um, to answer your question, I did not. I kind of wish I would have now looking back to kind of see my progression because even when I go back on this very computer that we're doing this on, uh, I'll, I'll go back from time to time and, and watch some of the games that I broadcasted from Indy in the ECHL or a couple games that I did uh, for NBC for Notre Dame, uh, for Notre Dame College Hockey, and, and just to see kind of how far I've come in terms of being comfortable developing a style, a cadence, um, and everything that kind of makes me what I am in, in doing what I do. But um, I would say that's probably the earliest where I started to actually be able to kind of go back and look. But uh, there were some long, loud, boisterous nights in my bedroom uh, yeah. because uh, I was uh, uh, having a lot of fun playing the game and, and, and doing something that I really loved. Those were my uh that was one of my two big takeaways from that opening there was first and foremost, it's nice to know that we weren't alone in terms yeah. of the idea of playing the game and commentating over it at the same yeah. time, because that is absolutely what has led me down to this path. And that idea of like, okay, is college going to work out financially? How can I try to kind of make some inroads here? And really, if you think about it uh, for me and Sin for that matter, uh, the commentary over the video game uh, never stopped. It's no. what we still do <laughs> to this yeah. day. I'm actually right. to the point now. Even if I'm playing on my own, I find myself like doing just little mm-hmm. bits of it because I'm. Just, it's just so ingrained into like how I think yeah. about the game. I have to vocalize it now. Yeah. And whenever, whenever I will say, whenever a young broadcasters or people who are interested or aspiring and trying to get into the broadcasting side of hockey or any sport for that matter. Um, that's always one of the first things of advice that I can give them. I say, like, it doesn't matter if you're a gamer, you've never played or you, but it, it, it's, it's infinite practice. Like yeah. you, you can play at any time of the day. You can set it up how you want playoff game. I mean, it's so advanced now where you can, you know, any team, you can set the lineups, however you want to do it. And so that's always the advice that I, that I try to give people aside from studying real life broadcasters and watching real life hockey. Um, just to be able to, even if you're just playing uh, true broadcast camera, computer against computer, at, and you're just bored at 2.30 in the morning, which I'm a night owl, so I often am, um, and just practice that way. So it really, aside from it just being a fun thing to play and to experience with friends, uh, it can really be used as an incredible tool for broadcasters currently that are doing it for a living and also folks that would, would love to get into it. In case anyone was wondering why we still do so much AI versus AI commentary in franchise (laughs) modes, now you know the reason why. It is absolutely (laughs) tremendous practice. The other takeaway from that, though, is you kind of mentioning the work ethic. And I was trying to think of how to phrase this 
But, you know, you're in a position where I think some people might say, you know, I don't agree with them, but the whole idea of like, all right, yep, your dad's who he is. Mm -hmm. You would have had those easier inroads. But from my perspective, it almost makes it more difficult because the pressure and expectation for someone in your position, uh, especially someone at your age, you're still 26, if I'm not mistaken. Like, it's just that idea of, man, you have to be that much more on your game, that much more prepared, because it's almost as if you're in a spot where people are going to be waiting for, I don't want to say someone like you, but you get what I mean, to screw up and to not be good at the, you know, opportunity that you have. So I think the fact that you have that level of uh, preparation in what you do and that level of going back and being like, okay, where can I improve here? Like you you essentially had to have that. And clearly it was instilled from very early on. Yeah, it's, uh, I have my parents to thank uh, an incredible amount uh, for uh, not just uh, the things that I have in my life, but the person that they've kind of molded me to be where first and foremost, very at the foundation of, of being an old check is that you, know, you treat the janitor the same as you treat the CEO and you are better than nobody and you earn your keep and what you are rewarded with, with what you get is based solely on how hard you work uh, to get it. Um, from my playing days when I was young it was you're only on this team because of your name. Uh, getting job opportunities, uh, getting an opportunity to, to prove myself in the broadcasting side, whether it be doing uh, NHL radio for Sports USA with Larry Kahn, who has been gracious enough to uh, give me some great opportunities for Winter Classics and Stadium Series of games, um, to now you know being able to work in the National Hockey League on a full time basis. Um, I am the first person to not only, uh, I guess, admit, but more so acknowledge that, yeah, for sure, opportunities have been there. No question. But to take it a step further is that the reality in this business is that when you get in the room or a door is opened, if you don't get in that room and perform and not just perform one out of three times, but every time. You're going to walk through that door just as quick as you walked in, but you're going out. doesn't matter what your name is or where you come from or who vouched for you. And so I think the thing I'm most proud of is, is um, that, yeah, I've, I've absolutely uh, had opportunities, um, but I have taken an incredible amount of uh, and put a, an incredible amount of pressure on myself uh, to, to do something with it because this is what I love. This is what I've always wanted to do. Um, and I've had people try and make me feel bad because of my last name when I think in reality, I am so proud to carry the last name Olchek, uh, no matter what anybody tries to make me feel or says, um, I'm incredibly proud. Um, but yeah, I, I think anybody that, that comes from a family that has done some, some great things and, and, uh, has tried to give back as much as, as we have. And my dad has. Um, I think the real easy route is just to kind of ride the coattails or uh, not work hard because, you know, maybe you just rest on the laurels that are opportunity or or connection. But I've always tried to work really, really hard uh, because I know, as I said earlier, and I will reiterate, um, just because a door is open, just because an opportunity is given um, doesn't mean the job stops there. You got to be able to get in and, and prove 
And I think in my case, Doogie, like what you were saying, prove a little extra, right? That it's not just the name. It's not just where you come from. You actually can do the job at an elite level, game after game, opportunity after opportunity. And I think that's the one thing that I, uh, I guess I'm most proud of is that I'm, I'm never satisfied. I'm always trying to improve uh, in every way. And, and I think also too, reality these days is that it doesn't matter what you say, doesn't mm. matter what you do, doesn't matter what clothing you wear, doesn't matter what kind of car you drive. There's going to be half the people that don't like you. And there's going to be half the people that do like you. And uh, I think if you could be more concerned uh, with the people that you do get along with uh, and learn from them and also learn a little bit from, from the other feedback too. Um, you know, I think life is just a little bit better that way and kind of understanding that. I mean, even the greatest of the greats, no matter what sport, what line of work, there are people that don't like them and all they do is great work and they give back and, and they do all these great things. So um, yeah, for sure. Like I said, I, I'd be the first to admit that, uh, you know, the position that I'm in has, has afforded me um, some incredible opportunities. But uh, the one thing I can lay my head down on a pillow every night is that uh, when I had those opportunities, uh, I made the most of it and, 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 uh, in a humble way, in a respectful way, in a very proud way, and, and hope to continue to do that um, as my career moves along. So yeah, I would even... No, I was just going to add on to, I would even think like in your position, kind of to reiterate some of the points is that it's almost like a double-edged sword, like some of the opportunities are there, but you almost feel like there's like a shadow over you. It's like, you have to live up to your father in some way. You're carrying that name. They Are they going to expect you to be as good as him? Are they going to hold you to the standard that he has been held to? And, you know, as you know, a younger guy, you're still learning and, and, you know, really applying yourself to do that so i i would say in that regard it can be quite difficult have you ever run into anything like that maybe higher expectations due to uh you know who your father is yeah for sure i, I think anywhere you go in in the hockey world or uh, in life in general there's always going to be expectation if you carry a certain name uh, but i think i've and it goes back to how I was raised which is how we kind of started this whole topic here uh, i had my mom and my dad to thank um, that uh, instilled values in me, uh, my two older brothers and my older sister. And um, look, at the end of the day, I, I just try to do what I love, uh, treat people as best I can, uh, give back in the ways that I can, um, and, and try and raise other people up as well. Um, but for sure, shadow, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've, I've felt that, but, I, I, but I've never allowed it to deter me from what I want to do. Because I think I've met other people in life that uh, are in a similar position where they carry a name. And it's not like, you know, not like you killed someone to get the name. So you're automatically like yeah. hated, you know, it's like I like I am so proud to be an old check. But like I didn't choose this. I, I didn't you know, it's not like I signed up for it. I just here I am. And, and I've tried to make the best of it. Um, I've tried to to. Um, represent our family as best I can um, and and know that at the end of the day we just try to we try to treat people as well as possible and and, and work really really hard but for sure yeah I felt a, a shadow no, no doubt but I have never allowed that to uh, overcome my inner belief in myself of okay yeah that's pretty special to be able to have a dad that was in the league for 16 years and knows the game I think better than anybody else 
and as much as he knows and, and the people he knows and, and just being able to, you know, when he's in town, being able to, to sit on that, on that chair there as he sits on this couch here as we're both watching that TV there and we're watching games and we're talking and I'm learning and we're giving feedback like that to me is so special. So, um, I'm, I'm so proud, um, to hold the last name that I do. And, and I know it comes with expectation. I know it comes with opinion. Um, but as I said earlier, it, it's, you know, half the people are going to love it. Half the people are going to hate it. And you just got to kind of keep moving forward and, and live the best life you possibly can. And in the meantime, you know, now here you are with the Seattle Kraken, and that'll kind of bring us into some of the viewer questions that we have. Before we get to that, of course, we have to mention, as always, this podcast brought to you by our lovely friends at Manscaped.com. I want to remind you, of course, you can use code Tukey, T-O-U-G-I-E, for 20% off your order, and you get free shipping on top of that. Again, our lovely friends at Manscaped.com, the peak, the pinnacle, uh, the best in the world of men's grooming and let's get to some of these questions here because again uh, you know i kind of mentioned like okay yeah we're gonna have nick on the show obviously here's what you do with seattle um no particular order these but let's go through them uh from catcher what do you guys see happening with shane wright this season i think that's one of the biggest questions surrounding the kraken this season is what happens with their number one prospect based off of the kind of craziness from last season and trying to navigate certain rules, uh, whether it be with the tryout or the whole CHL side of things. Uh, obviously, he ended up getting a solid amount of playing time by the end of the season uh, in Coachella Valley. But uh, from your perspective right now, Nick, what is kind of the expectation for Shane Wright this season? Well, having the pleasure of getting to talk to Shane a little bit throughout camp, and having some interactions with him. Um, I would love to start off by saying that he's such a good kid and he wants to get better. He wants to play for the Kraken. And uh, this is a guy that has internal motivation um, to the top degree. Tough year in terms of playing for a lot of different teams last year. Yeah, Kraken, Coachella Valley, Windsor, Canadian junior team, winning a gold medal. Um, so he certainly kind of saw every every end of it uh, last year and was faced and tasked with a lot and still is trying to improve and get better and get more comfortable. And I think for people that might not know, if there's one thing that anybody can take away, if you're wondering about what type of kid he is, what type of work ethic he has, for all that he went through last year, including that deep run all the way to the last possible game in the Calder Cup in the American Hockey League with the Coachella Valley Firebirds, where they were defeated in overtime of Game 7 by the Hershey Bears. Um, it was a very short summer, short window for Shane. And... Right before camp started, there was a, a, a rookie camp, uh, a prospects camp, and Shane came to Seattle for it. He didn't have to. Team gave him the option. Hey, you've played a lot of hockey. You've played more than most. If you want to rest, feel free. And what did he do? He came to camp because that's the standard that he wants to set and uh, it kind of uh, ingratiating himself with the rest of the rookies and the rest of the team and the city. So um, there's a lot of potential there. 
I think in his game, from what I've seen in a few of the preseason games and in training camp, when there's no hesitation in his game and when he's feeling it, he's shooting the puck. There's no, you know, if the, if the light is green, he's, he's taking the aim. Uh, there's no deferring. Uh, it's, it's more north and south than east and west. Um, and, and, and he's really battling. And that, I think, looking at him now, he's filled out a little bit more. Obviously, there's a little bit more still to go being so young as he is. Uh, and that's only going to happen with time. But I have, I have liked what I've seen with the maturation process. Uh, where he starts this year, I would go out on a limb and say I think he probably starts down in Coachella Valley um, and continues to season, continues to mature. And then does he get a couple looks throughout the season? Does he make his way up, up to the team? I think I could see it happening definitely, uh, though the forward group is extremely deep. Um, but I just, from last camp to this camp, he has improved. And so that's all you're looking for for Shane right now is just step by step, day by day, keep putting foot, uh, one foot in front of the other uh, and to keep improving. Because the mindset and the raw talent and the hockey IQ is all there. Just need a little bit more time to kind of put it all together. But uh, when you think of potential, um, you know, it's, it's definitely pretty high for Shane Wright. You mentioned the prospect camp that was there. Kind of lines up for another question from AJ. One dark horse prospect to watch out for on the Kraken. And I think it's a worthwhile question for a couple of reasons, but primarily I think back to last season, the postseason run in particular, where out of nowhere, here's Ty Cartier just stepping into that lineup and making an impact. And it's that kind of idea of the differences in what Seattle have done as an expansion team compared to Vegas and allowing a little bit more room for these prospects to step into the lineup. I mean, Maddie Beneers as a Calder winner is their one C projected for will probably be just outright be the one C uh, this season. And I can't wait to see him in particular, but is there anybody then that stood out to you as, all right, keep an eye on this guy. Yeah. Two players stand out uh, immediately. Um, and then maybe I'll kind of say one that maybe people aren't really paying attention to or maybe don't know a lot of. Uh, one of them being Ty Cartier. I mean, look, he, he had a great year last year in Coachella Valley playing for the Firebirds. Uh, he won Rookie of the Year, by the way, in the American Hockey League. So just a, a phenomenal year for him. Then he joins the Kraken in the playoffs. He plays 10 games. He gets three goals. And uh, when I watch him in practice and when he shoots the puck, it reminds me a lot of the Kraken's 40 goal scorer last year, Jared McCann, where the puck just kind of, it just zips right off his stick. It doesn't seem like he's putting all that flex or all that momentum into the stick. It's just on, it's off. It's quick. It's accurate. A lot of times catches the goaltender before the goaltender even knows what the heck's going on or before the goalie can even kind of get on the angle or get in position. Um, So that's one part of his game. That's going to be very sexy, but What's more impressive to me is the battle, the battle that Ty Cartier has. Uh, In preseason, he's killed a lot of penalties. uh, So that's going to be a a big portion of his game. And then should he be presented with an opportunity offensively on the penalty kill? I mean, you talk about shorthand and goals. I think he'd be able to rack up a good amount of those in his career if given the opportunity. But um, it's the battle level. It's the compete. He's got physicality. He plays with bite. He's got that grind in his game. So any type of style, he's going to be able to play it. And he can motor, too, with or without the puck, especially when he's busting through the neutral zone 
into the offensive zone. So Ty Karchi, I think, is going to play a very important role on this team this season. And I think a guy that can move up and down the lineup, right? You need him to play on the second or third line, he can do it. You need him to kind of grind it out, but also be a little bit of, a, of an offensive flair on the fourth line. I think he can bring that. Another guy we will see this year is Riker Evans. And man, oh man, is he ever smooth. He just, the heart rate, uh, the heart rate, um, the heartbeat, it, it never gets too high. It's just always kind of cool, calm, collected, even when he's under pressure. So many times this preseason where he's got the puck at the blue line and, and, and here comes the winger ready to try and knock it out. And he just makes a subtle little play or he walks the line one way, quick little stop, back the other, little stutter step. And he's just able to make a play. Like, I think the biggest compliment that a player can be given is to say that the play never dies on your stick. You always make the next play. Not, as, not always is a big word because everyone makes mistakes. But more times than not, Riker Evans makes the right play. And he's calm, going back for pucks, um, supporting the play off the rush, keeping pucks in at the blue line, outlet passes, defending off the rush. There was a play uh, recently in a game against the Edmonton Oilers where Connor McDavid started, as he often does, behind his goal line. Made a pass to Leon Dreisaitl on the right wall, and then he just went a 1,000 miles an hour, got the pass back, and here he's coming full speed at Riker Evans, and there's no fear. It's a good tight gap. He's up near the blue line, and he kind of forced him over towards Adam Larson, who's a pretty damn good defenseman in his own right, who he was playing with that night. And then Larson was able to kind of shield McDavid to the outside, and then nothing ended up happening. I think that, to me, was like, okay, this kid's not scared. And uh, where is he going to start this year? Could he use a little bit more seasoning in Coachella Valley? I don't think that that's a bad thing. So we'll have to wait and see. But um, those are two guys for me that I think are going to make impacts on the team this year. Uh, Timetable, we'll we'll have to uh, wait and see on that. Um, And then one more player who uh, impressed me in camp, in the prospects camp and in camp this year is Carson Raycop, a player that played with the Kitchener Rangers. He's just got this real upright style. Always got his head up, can really fire the puck. He can score goals. He can beat the goalie one-on-one. He's got a certain swagger and confidence when he plays. Um, so that's, I think, a guy that I think could, could make an impact on this team in the next few years. Um, but a lot of exciting prospects uh, that this team has, and that is a huge reason um, why Ron Francis, the Kraken general manager, his staff, uh, the head of scouting, Robert Cron, uh, and all the work that they've done to be able to put the team in this position. Um, because we know Matty Beneers is going to be the superstar moving forward. Uh, but as you guys know, uh, not just one player is going to be able to take a team to the promised land. You need to surround them with other great players or complementary pieces or players that kind of fit the play style. And that's exactly what they've done through the draft, through, through free agency. But very, very exciting years in the next few but also beyond that uh, for the Kraken. Yeah, I really like that you brought up uh, Ray Kopp in particular. Um, I've had my eye on him. I love, love defensemen who, as you say, they keep things simple. They don't overcomplicate things and they don't really allow the play to die on the, on their stick. And so many people don't necessarily notice them, but their presence is felt all over the ice. And I yeah. think it's incredibly important, as you said, to have those type of players where you're not going to necessarily see them in the highlight reels. They're not going to be quote unquote leading the team as a McDavid or Dreisaitl type would, but they're such an important, important cog in the machine because 
as you said, he's not scared to McDavid. He's going to make that simple defensive play. He'll make that simple pass. He'll be able to evade pressure. And uh, yeah, I, I, I definitely am. I'm high on him. And as you said, yeah, Seattle has done a good job bringing in the supporting cast for their future while still being a good, a good team in the present. And I, that's, that's, that's exceedingly impressive. And I, I would think- also say too, I think with with uh, sorry Tugi, uh, with with Riker, uh, aside from just having that great, strong, solid, simple game, um, was quarterbacking the power play quite a bit through the preseason for the Kraken too. So this is a guy that I, I think in his prime, you talk about protect uh, projection, you talk about potential. Um, this is the type of guy that that is going to be a first pairing defenseman who is and has the capability to run a power play. Uh, so the offensive upside being there as well. So uh, exciting days now uh, and moving ahead with a lot of good young players uh, uh, for this team. And I think that kind of leads into the the final question that we have here um, <laughs> from Hawks. What are the vibes like in Seattle right now after the season they just had? And I think you can kind of uh, already deduce from, from Nick's previous answers of just the, the optimism that's there. And like Sin mentioned, the idea of, you know, they have such a solid team right now, having made the playoffs without having, you know, without having to leverage the future. Uh, they still have essentially their full house of draft picks moving forward that they could choose to play with if they want to. Uh, but it is already such a, a deep team. And I think a great mix of young guys and elder skatesmen, I guess we'll call them, <laughs> or more experienced players. And a lot of Stanley Cup champions, too, in that dressing room. And, and I just look at, like, the top line. You've got Jared McCann, Matty Beneers, and Jordan Everly. you got different players, play a little bit of a different way, but they have that predictability. They have that anticipation. They have that connection now that they've played together long enough. And, and, and Jordan Everly's impact on Matty Beneers, I think, is – is something that cannot be uh, underestimated or understated. They sit next to each other in the locker room. That wasn't just a coincidence. Uh, Jordan Everly, a consummate professional, uh, as he has been throughout the entirety of his career. Um, and you think about a guy like Jaden Schwartz, too, uh, the doctor of fundamentals, I like to refer to him as, because he is Mr. Consistent. You want a puck to get out along the wall. You want uh, a dirty play in terms of getting in there, getting in the grind not being afraid, though he's not a huge guy, he can do that and, and and winning a Stanley Cup with the St. Louis Blues and being able to score and being a guy that keeps the room a little bit loose and light uh, when you need that, uh, those types of times too. Um, and you look to the back end of a guy like Adam Larson who's played in the league a long time and he has just excelled in, in being on a, on a top-pairing defenseman along with Vince Dunn who is really – had an incredible time here in Seattle with a phenomenal year, gets a well-deserved payday in the offseason, going to be here for four years, a real important part uh, of the blue line. Uh, But just such a really good mix, I think, for this team uh, from the forward group in terms of depth. And another thing I should probably bring up is the waiver wire pickup of of Ellie Tolvanen last year. And he comes in and he joins the Kraken. He plays 48 games in the regular season. He gets 16 goals, four on the power play, three game winners. And uh, to get that guy for free, and he's, uh, again, under contract this year, like that's just another heck of a pickup um, to be able to complement this team and, and add to the depth. Because 
Um, I think for me, teams, not just that have a lot of talent, but the best teams in the league come at you in waves. And it's not just the first line and then the second line and then the third and the fourth line just kind of go out there and kind of dilly-dally. There needs to be a threat there. Uh, at times, they need to be able to kill the clock, just make the simple plays. And there has been some turnover on the roster this year. Um, you lose Daniel Sprong, who had over 20 goals last year. You lose Ryan Donato. You lose Morgan Geeky. But when I look at the potential, potential, I will say, potential fourth line, um, when you look at Brandon Tanev, pierre Edward, Belmar, and Kyler Yamamoto, or whoever's going to be playing on that fourth line, if it's John Hayden, Ty Cartier, whoever it might be, um, and, and you get a centerman, pierre Edward Belmar, who can really win faceoffs. And that was a tough part uh, for the Kraken last year, where they really struggled at the faceoff dot. Uh, to be able to get a veteran presence like that in, who's going to kill penalties, he's going to win faceoffs, and he's going to be great in the room. Um, you know, you're, you're continuing to build the roster, build the team, and kind of create that uh, necessary camaraderie to be able to come at other teams in waves, knowing that it's not just the Beneers line, it's not just Burakovsky, it's not just Bjorkstrand that are going to be threats to score and to play good hockey, but it's also going to be the third line of, of whether it's Yanni Gord or you look to the fourth line with, with, uh, with I think, in some regards, some improvement there. Um, and then lastly, goaltending too. I mean, Philip Grubauer going into this season, um, he's looked – Great. Let me let me rephrase that. He's looked phenomenal in camp. Uh, he's looked awesome in the preseason games that he's played. He had a great summer, and uh, just a lot to look forward to for this team. Now, I, I will say, talking to people around town and around the league, the expectation and the standard has been set. It's playoffs, and I think that's where it should be because of how deep this team is, how good this team is. Um, and how close this team is uh, in the dressing room in terms of their chemistry. Uh, a lot of buzz in the city. Um, I think the amount of people that have asked me for tickets, probably from here to like Alaska, which is good uh, because we, we want more fans. We want more people uh, wanting to go to the games. But um, I'm, I'm very, very excited. Uh, aside from loving what I do, guys, um, I, I just can't wait to see what this team does this season. You know, I think, too, you know, you kind of mentioned the depth throughout the lineup. It just brings you back to, well, the team that won the Stanley Cup this past summer, that being Vegas. And, yes, you have the star power of a Jack Eichel, of a Mark Stone. They do not win the Cup without the Mike Amadios, the Brett Howdens, the Keegan Colasars filling out that bottom six. And, like you said, being difficult to play against every shift as opposed to just taking up ice time while the stars rest. Yeah, I'll also yeah, yeah. Uh, bring up the fact that I find it quite interesting that you pick up Belmar, and he was on that very early uh, Vegas team too, That when that first year when they went that Miracle Cup run. It's clear that he's really viewed as not just a good locker room guy, but a culture builder because the Kraken are yeah. still a very new franchise, still kind of molding their own um, – identity and culture and stuff like that and i think it's very telling when you bring in a guy like belmar who has very very recently shown that he's one of those good not only just locker room guy but a guy to build the culture around and who you can find that success in that poise in the playoffs with and 38 going on 25 and i mean that <laughs> in the most complimentary respectful way uh how he's able to galvanize teammates how quickly he's fit in uh, which is a very uh, great sign because it's it's an amazingly welcoming group uh, of guys. And I think he's going to be very, very important for this team this year. 
being able to put out your fourth line late in the game, uh, trusted in the defensive zone, which maybe isn't always the case or wasn't always the case last year for the Kraken. Well, now this year, if you got Pierre-Edouard Belmar out there, who is a defensive specialist, um, you're going to be able to, to put him out there in a lot of different situations. So I think it's a, it's a great signing. He's gelled awesome so far. And uh, I think another guy that will be uh, pivotal if this team wants to accomplish some great things uh, this season. I will say, uh, I know the Bruins play the Kraken uh, at TD Garden, February 15th. About time you're in town for that one. I'll have to make the trip down or uh, even even better. I know they head to Seattle on uh, February 26th that I might have to see if I can uh, make something happen there. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> so obviously we could sit here and talk about the Kraken for the duration of this, of this podcast. And I'll already, uh, you know, throw the, throw the line out there of, Hey, later on this season, I'd love to kind of get an update with you, but we wanted yeah. to talk about some of the other teams as well, especially in the Metro. But before that, uh, there is actually another Pacific division team that's in the news today. Uh, and that is because the Anaheim ducks have re-signed, uh, RFA Jamie Drysdale to a three-year deal at a $2.3 million cap hit. This just a few days after, dare I say, finally re-signing Trevor Zegers. I think that uh, RFA status went on for a little bit longer than a lot of people thought, but he was also signed to a three-year deal at 5.75. Um, I had said on this show previously that I did not know what Pat Verbeek was doing. Um And it turned out that this was a very similar situation to what had happened with Jim Nill and the Dallas Stars. Because last offseason, we were going through the, okay, when are they going to sign Robertson and Ottinger? And how is that going to play out? And eventually they did. And they were both signed to sweetheart deals. I mean, Jason Robertson's making seven something. And man, that kid should be making over 10 million. (laughs) Jason Robertson is an amazing, amazing player. Um, and I view this for the Ducks as well as a gigantic win uh, for somebody like Pat Verbeek as a GM to lock down uh, two players, uh, 22 and 21 years old, respectively, to these contracts over the next three years. A very important three years for the Ducks as they see now how this new crop of talent pans out and kind of what that next era will be, especially after drafting Leo Carlson second overall. I mean, you're talking about yeah. a potential future of Zegers and Carlson down the middle, uh, which McTavish. is very promising. Don't forget about McTavish either. <laughs> McTavish is there too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nick, any yeah, thoughts very, on uh, uh, what the Ducks are building? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, It's been pretty clear uh, with what Pat Verbeek has done, uh, or in some cases not done, uh, with the vision that he has uh, for the Anaheim Ducks moving forward. But anytime you can get those players locked up for a little while longer, um, you know that the, that the next deals that those guys sign, whether it's with Anaheim or elsewhere, that's where the big money and the mega money is gonna gonna come uh, in terms of financials and term and stability. Um, but in terms of the of, of both both of those players, I think respectively, look, I, I think it's great to have Trevor Zegers in the game in terms of the energy that he brings, the enthusiasm, getting people involved. You can't argue with the raw and pure skill that he possesses. Um, on a lot of different occasions, able to make something happen when nothing's going on. Um, and obviously one of the most marketable talents we, we have in, in the great game of hockey today. So it's it great to see him uh, in that market. 
because as obviously as we've seen in other cities, um, uh, to have superstars on teams, uh, it's important, um, especially in, in places where, you know, I don't, I really don't know if there's a kind of a non-traditional hockey market anymore. You know, obviously I know the Anaheim Ducks won a Stanley cup back, um, in the early two thousands and, and they get great turnouts there when the team has been good. Um, but I think it's great to have him in that market selling the game, uh, in, in California, uh, and in that, in that area of the United States and, uh, I just can't speak to how great it is to, to have him in the game and, and to have him down there for a little bit longer, that being Zegras. And for Jamie Drysdale, one of the smoothest skating defensemen I've I've seen in a long time and a guy that can kind of really do it all. Um, and as you continue to build in Anaheim, it's going to be very intriguing to see some of the steps that this team takes. Uh, I think it's going to be a, a battle of a year for them, especially when you look at the other uh, teams in the Pacific Division, it's going to be a, a, a hell of a division, I think. Um, you know, and uh, But I think really nice to see both those players uh, staying there and, and obviously getting the deals done before the season started. Because you know when it goes down to the wire, you know, both parties are sweating. Both parties, and because at, at the end of the day, whether no matter how much you want a dollars and cents and, and, and play that game, um, these guys want to play hockey. Uh, that's the one thing I know for sure. And it's just great, I think, for the game and obviously for the Ducks to be able to see these deals get done sooner than later. Now, while you don't have too many uh, direct ties with the Metro division, like I said, I'm, I'm perfectly OK with talking about, in my opinion, every division is intriguing this year. But the Metro especially, because I feel like there's a lot of teams in the conversation that people have been waiting to kind of see fall off for a little bit that always seem to kind of stay in the mix and in the conversation. And I wanted to go kind of in reverse order from where they finished, you know, uh, worst to best from last season yeah. and just kind of give those general thoughts on the team and whether or not we think they will do a little bit better, a little bit worse, maybe about the same heading into this year, uh, which brings us to uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets who I don't know if anything's interesting, uh, if anything interesting has happened with them lately. Um, it's been a pretty quiet off season uh, in Columbus, you know, only talking about future prospect development, maybe Patrick Line playing center. Uh, they drafted Adam Fantilli. And uh, I can't think of anything else that may have been a distraction uh, for, <laughs> <laughs> for this off season. Is this bit getting over? I don't know. Um, yeah. <laughs> what a what a weird team. Like, they were decimated by injuries last year. So, by default, you think they would have a better year. But I'm really intrigued to see just how the entire Mike Babcock situation plays out for this team. Because there is a really good chance that it could be a kind of moment that just brings this team together to say, all right, we're putting that behind us. Everyone focus on what we're doing this season. That's kind of where I was 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 headed to, Guy. Um, and I think in uh, this this type of situation, which was extremely unfortunate, um, and and something that you know, right decision was made, had to be made. Um, I, I look at this, and, and one quote comes to mind for me is that uh, the true colors of someone or some team or some city are shown not when times are good, but when times are tough and obviously a very tough time for the Columbus blue jackets. But I think I would co-sign what you're selling. I think this could be a rallying cry for them 
Um, they've got some good young pieces. Um, when you think of Cole Sillinger and, and obviously Adam Fantilli, I mean, wow, like some of the highlights and goals that he was able to score in the prospect camp and in preseason and, and certainly being um, a huge part of their future. And Patrick Laine, who, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I mean, who, who isn't a fan of him shooting the puck? No matter what position he's playing, that's the type of guy you want shooting. And so um, while it is a very, very uh, monumentous division, to put it lightly, in terms of teams that I think will make the playoffs and are going to get over 100 points, which we'll get into as we go through the process here. Um, yeah, just a, a really tough summer for them. But I think it very well could be a, a, a rallying cry or uh, something that, that kind of brings the guys together and say, hey, it's us against the world, and let's try and make the most of the season. Yeah, the thing that I really like as I'm looking up and down their roster is that they're mixing, you know, they have a good mix. They don't of like young and like in their prime type of guys. But the one thing that really intrigues me, they only have one person on the team who is at least on cap friendly that I'm looking at is 31 years old. And that's Eric Branson. That's actually the oldest player on their team. So it seems like they have like a really good, um, you know, a really good core that's that's they're not really on a time limit and that's got to take a little bit of the pressure off of some of these guys and a little bit off of management as well. But at the same time, you know, you did sign Johnny Gaudreau, you have Patrick Line with this year and just two more after being paid that 8.7. So you still want to make something happen, but they're not really in too much danger of, of like huge performance declines from a lot of their lineup. Yeah, I can I can only agree with that. It's funny about Fantilli too. Um, when I was in Vancouver uh, visiting the EA Studios two months ago, uh, he was there on their uh, synthetic ice in their capture studio, going over some stuff. I think he got his his head scan for the video game that day too. Um, and he's listed at six two one ninety five on cap friendly. I wouldn't be surprised if he's if he's bigger than that. I mean he he was he was next to Rasmus Dahlin, and Dahlin's a, a He's a really big guy too, but yeah, Fantilli just looked like a hoss. I mean, that's the only way to put it. I think like the physicality that he is going to bring for the Blue Jackets might surprise some people because you look at like his scoring record of 65 points in 36 games as a freshman at Michigan last year, which is nuts, by the way. That's insane. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the extras that he can bring beyond that point production. Um there's quite a few people in the mix for the Calder this year. I would be, I, I'd be shocked if he's not a finalist. At the same time, I would be excited to see just how good someone has to be so that Adam Fantilli wasn't a top three rookie this year at the very yeah. least. And I think that rookie yeah. class in general is a very exciting one. Um, the Philadelphia Flyers finished seventh last season, 75 points, 31 wins. As they continue to kind of overgo that rebuild now with Danny Briere at the helm. Um, obviously, I think, you know, the expectations are low this season, but at the same time, they do have some younger guys in the mix that you kind of look towards the, the Tyson Forsters, the Cam Yorks of the world. Um, but they still have kind of a lot of those looming questions of, all right, what's the future of a, a Sean Couturier? Like if he's healthy enough and can stay healthy, uh, does the team inquire about him? Maybe not. But what does that mean for Philadelphia then if he can stay healthy? Because he is a phenomenal player when healthy. The biggest question is Cam, or not Cam York, excuse me. I just love Cam York. Got to bring him up as much as I can. Uh, Carter Hart, 
and how his name for the past two, three years has consistently been out there. I was like, all right, is he Philly? Is, is he their guy? Is he going to stay? He's 25 years old now, an RFA at the end of the year. Uh, you would think they'd want to get rid of that looming question as quickly as they possibly could. It's either commit to the guy or try to work something out. Yeah, this is an interesting team for me. because uh, They're going through an obvious rebuild, both on the ice and off the ice. Um, and someone I know quite well, uh, that being Keith Jones, who is uh, now the president of the Philadelphia Flyers and a guy who I think is 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 pushing the right buttons in terms of uh, how the transformation uh, of the Philadelphia Flyers into this kind of next stage as they do go through this rebuild. I, I think aside from just the on ice and the roster and the projection, um, I, I think they've gone about things the right way in terms of admitting or saying, hey, it's going to take some time. And I think at the end of the day, all, all you can really do is be as honest as you can with the fans. Now, you're not going to be able to tell everybody everything, right? I mean, it's just like it's the, the CEO of the company isn't going to be able to tell all the staff members and all the employees every little thing about the company, good or bad. Um, but with the job that Keith Jones has done so far, uh, with the job that uh, Danny Briere has done as well and, and how well they've seemingly worked in unison, um, there's a lot of hope and there should be a lot of hope for Flyers fans uh, moving forward with some of the young players that they have, Tugi, as you had had mentioned uh, perfectly um, and, and some veterans too, that they have on their roster that if they can stay healthy um, are going to be really important for when they do inject some of those young guys uh, into games this year, uh, that they're going to have some players that they can rely upon and learn from not just in game, but in practice and in, in learning what it takes to be an everyday pro because they do have some of those uh, good players. And, and that is a great, uh, great question about Carter Hart. Is he going to be there long-term? Do they look to move him and, and try and stack up on some picks or maybe a young player, take a shot that way? But um, it's going to be a while for the Philadelphia Flyers, I think, before they are a competitive, a consistently competitive team. Um, but I think to get there, they've already taken the initial steps, aside from just putting the people they think in place. Um, is that saying, okay, it's going to take time. And we're going to go about it as best we can. And and obviously having a coach like John Tortorella um, is really going to set the standard. Because if you don't abide, uh, you're going to be weeded out very, very quickly. Yeah, for sure. And I do, I do kind of find their lineup a bit interesting in the, in the sense that like when they are going to be competitive, you're going to kind of see almost like a tiered lineup. You know, you mentioned you're going to have some of those veterans still. Couturier is not going to be going anywhere. He's still, my opinion, one of the better two-way centers in the game. And then they have like, you know, the prospect crop from like the Konechny, you got Farabee and Frost and that sort of group. And they've also taken uh, into their lineup, some cast, you know, cast offs from some, some of the other teams, you know, you think of Owen Tippett or Ryan Paling and things like that. And as you said, with the new injection of young talent, that's going to be coming within these next few years. I think when they are ready to be competitive, they should have a good mix of veterans prime and the young energy type guys to, to make the impact. Hopefully that they're, they're, they're going to be looking to make, but yeah, I mean, biggest question mark is, Carter Hart and uh, I, I do have to say I haven't really agreed with how they've handled the situation where they're constantly dangling his name out there like oh yeah he's probably maybe available and I think with what Carter Hart's already kind of been through that's got to be a little bit tough especially on a goaltender who we already know have so much pressure on them 
It's a fair point. We'll get to the team that finished above them this past season. A team that could be kind of in the opposite situation. You know, Philadelphia trying to bottom out and build back up. The Washington Capitals are one of the two big teams of this division that people have been waiting to see fall for a while. And it finally happened this past season where they missed the playoffs for the very first time in a long time at this stage. And the question now is can they bounce back and get to where they once were? Or is this, you know, have, have we seen the beginning of the end uh, here? You know, Alex Ovechkin now 38 years old, still at 42 goals last year, because of course he did, barring uh, drastic injury or the, uh, you know, the <laughs> uh, father time quickly calling out of nowhere instead of that gradual player decline. Maybe it's just, all right, here we go. We, we've hit that decline. Um you know, if that doesn't happen, you always want to give Washington a chance with one of the greatest players of all time and the guy who will go down as the greatest goal scorer of all time on the roster. But I guess that's the big question is now that you've had that season off, we, we've seen that a few times. What, okay, you missed the playoffs, but that extra rest, especially for a team with some older players, can be really beneficial that following season to try and push again. Yeah, this is... Uh... Another interesting team, I think, for a lot of different reasons. Um, when you think about getting a healthy Nicholas Backstrom, obviously Alexander Ovechkin is, is always a shoe-in in, in terms of you know what you're going to get from him. Um, and I would love to, before we move on to the next team, I would love to pose a question to you guys about Ovi. Uh, so we'll get to that. Um, but this team, uh, a notable uh, player, uh, on this team now, that being Max Pacioretty, uh, I think is going to bring some goal scoring. He's been in the league a long, long time. Um, but again, you look in goal, Darcy Kemper, he's had some good success in his career, but is this a guy that's going to be able to be that tried and true, trusted number one, playing 60 games? We'll have to wait and see. Um but I think a team that if I am projecting or trying to place them at the end of the year, I think they'll probably kind of be, at least to me, in, in a very similar spot um, as to where they finished last year. Because the, the higher we go and the more we talk in this division, it just gets so tough um, when you think about the teams that finished a little bit higher last year and, and, and what I think will be um, by the end of this season. But uh, you got some good veterans. you got a couple of young players. Um, some questions in gold, but uh, for this Washington Capitals team, um, I think as their grade eight goes, so do they. And, you know, it's is not, you know, the same team that they were, um, you know, a few years back. Obviously, they're going through, um, you know, whether you want to call it a retool or, or, or something of that nature, but they still have some still have some really good players that are going to make it exciting for I think for Capitals fans to, to watch this team throughout the course of the year. So that next team that you referred to. And I will say too, Tugi, sorry, before we move on, I, I the question I want to <laughs> yeah, ask got a you question. <laughs> is, well, that's what is, I was going to say is, yeah, what's, yeah, what's the yeah. question do before you, we get to Do you think eight catches 99? <sighs> yeah, <laughs> I do. Um, again, right now, as it uh, as it stands, he is how many – behind let's get that updated number he is at 822 
And Gretzky finished at 894. Ovechkin is 38 years old. I mean, in theory, if he can stay on that 40 goal pace, it's it's less than two seasons. 30 goal it, pace and should hit it yeah. with his contract, and he's signed for the perfect amount. I want him mm-hmm. to. I hope he does. Uh, and I, I defy anyone who doesn't want him to. I think records are made to be broken. And the only the only thing you worry about is his supporting cast, especially as you mentioned the Backstrom's health questions. Like he is still a guy who who, you know, he he can't create out of nothing like he used to. You know, the wheels are starting to go. He's still ridiculous. I mean, he'll he'll get, you know, 10, 10 15, 20 power play goals still, but how you know is how is he going to do five on five with with the supporting cast? I think is the biggest question. But I, I, I think and I hope he still finds a way to break it. Yeah, and you still obviously you still have John Carlson there too, and yeah. getting Kuznetsov right, and, mm-hmm. and those are some good players that I'll be able to work um, work with. But I'm with you guys. I, I think there is there is no shot that Alexander Ovechkin gets to within fifty goals, let's say, let's just and says, ah. Eh, I'm yeah. okay. There's right. no way. Like, way like, too like, competitive for that. Like, like even if he gets if he gets 40 this year, and then the next year he gets like you know 10, or he has a, he has a rough year, whatever. Like, there's no way. And I don't know him, but from his competitiveness and what we know about him, watching him, the greatest goal sco- a goal scorer of this generation, and very well could be sooner than later of all time. I just don't see it of him just saying, yeah. I'm 28 goals away. I'm, I'm just going to – I'm not feeling it anymore. There's no yeah. chance. So yeah. I think it is – he, he does it. And I'm totally with you, Sin. I, I think it is so good for the game. Uh, Wayne Gretzky has come out multiple times and, and, and said how much he's been advocating for, for Alex Ovechkin to, to break his record. And I could just imagine the countdown when he gets to within 10 mm-hmm. and how not just the hockey world but the world world is going to mm-hmm. have their eyes in. And, and every goal, he gets a little bit closer, a little bit closer. And um, just it's going to be so special, I think, for the game. Um, but uh, I just don't envision there being any way that Ovi says, uh, you know, eh, I'm going to ride off into the sunset without having done it because I think he's got all the tools to be able to do it. And the last thing I will say on, on Alexander Ovechkin, as aside from the goals, aside from the spectacular highlights that are going to live forever, when you look at his statistics year in and year out, he has been remarkably durable. His durability rating is is 199, <laughs> let alone just 99. I mean, it seems like every season in his career, it's been 80 games, 78 games, 82 games, 81 games. And that – now, earlier in his career, he was a lot more physical than he is now. But for the style that he's played and for as much as he's been targeted over his career, um, I think of all the great things he's done – uh, for me, his durability uh, will go down as one of the most impressive traits that he possesses. Yeah, I think he had I that think slight too, advantage. Over you're talking Kron- about the last shot for someone to break Gretzky's record for at least another eight to ten years. Um, there is nobody in the top 200 right now, all-time career goals, that's still active that has a chance. Uh, you know, someone like Steven Stamkos already has over a thousand games played and has had the wear and tear. Like it's just, it's not going to happen. So then you start looking at guys who are trying and are on the brink of cracking 200, 
um, in terms of being in the top 200 all time in terms of goals. The Dreisaitl's, the McDavid's, Pasternak, Matthews. And even then, you might have to look beyond that to the Bedard era before you really have someone who might be able to get that close. And, you know, you kind of mentioned just how close um, he is at the stage and what happens once he gets closer. And we saw that this past season in the NBA with LeBron James as they were counting down. Okay, here he goes, getting that much closer to the all-time scoring record in the NBA. I'm old enough to remember Barry Bonds and all the Giants games at the time being broadcasted right on ESPN for everyone to watch and every home run. It was, oh my God, he's that much closer. Um, And it's magic. Like you said, it doesn't just capture the hockey audience. It captures the sports world in general to have something, uh, a record like that, that was previously thought to be untouchable, uh, be threatened, if not surpassed. So just for the the sake of the sport, I hope that it happens. Um, We still have five teams left to discuss here. I know we're getting a little bit low on time because, hey, surprisingly, the three of us. uh, Can you believe three people such as us could be long winded uh, and have have a lot of thoughts and opinions? So I'll kind of just, you know, breeze through these five teams in a sense. And then we can kind of touch up upon uh, the five in in whatever way we choose to. Uh, The Pittsburgh Penguins finished in fifth last season, missing the playoffs again for the first time not mistaken, it was the first time in the Crosby era, really. Um, obviously, huge offseason for them. Kyle Dubas comes over from Toronto. Uh, they acquire Riley Smith from the Vegas Golden Knights, uh, among other players, including uh, one Eric Carlson from the San Jose Sharks. That that little that little chestnut of a uh, of a deal there. General thoughts on the Penguins heading into this season. And I think for the three of us, we could try to keep it short. Um, we could try. We might not succeed. Uh, but thoughts on the Penguins heading into this I year? Really, yeah, I really wonder how uh, the um, partnership or maybe lack thereof is going to go between Eric Carlson and Chris Letang. Who's going to get more power play one time quarterbacking it? Uh, who's going to play on the first pair? Who's going to play on the second pair? Um, I think that's definitely a storyline, but it's hard to argue with what Kyle Dubas has done when he's gone in there. You mentioned the name Riley Smith. I mean, that, that's a huge get and kind of almost a, a reworking of the roster. You lose Jason Zucker. Um, but whenever you have Sidney Crosby, whenever you have Evgeny Malkin, you always got a chance to win. Um, not overly sold on their goaltending. Tristan Jari, is he is he going to be a guy that's going to be able to to have a good enough year and a consistent enough year to to get them? into the playoffs and then be great in the playoffs. I'm not so sure. Uh, but the one thing you do know is that uh, Sid, Gino, Carlson, Latang, so on and so forth, uh, they're going to be right there. They're going to be in the mix. Sin, any thoughts on the Penguins or you want me to move on? Uh, yeah, I, I think it could be beneficial for Latang oh, to, to get worse. a few less well, We will move on. <laughs> I think he's said, you know what's funny? Like, is he oh, had yeah, the it's fear. all good. You know, like, I welcome Eric some, Carlson, uh, but it's always uh, apparently easier. Apparently, California's you know, internet structure can be uh, a little bit hit or miss. And there he goes. We did lose him. We'll see if he joins back up. But I'm sure he'll be happy. He at least got through uh, the yeah. first hour plus of the show without that. Um <laughs> The New York Islanders finished in fourth last season, made the playoffs, a team that's always touted as like, oh, man, if they can just make the playoffs, they have that type of squad to go far. Didn't work out last season, despite the trade for Bo Horvat. This offseason was a, an interesting one as, you know, you re-signed Bo Horvat and Barzal uh, and a, a lot of players to long-term contracts. That seems to have been the Lou Lamorello way, but I still can't 
count them out because I I can't help but label Ilya Sorokin the best goaltender in the world right now for my money. Um, you know, we've had the conversation on the show. You know, if it's Game 7, Stanley Cup Final, who you're taking? And the answer is probably Andre Vasilevsky. But if you had to ask me, like, okay, who's that one goalie that you can get to kind of lead that team night in and night out? For me, it's Sorokin. So I have a really hard time counting them out. If you have... Let me rephrase that. If you don't have goaltending, uh, you're not going to win in the National Hockey League. And when you have a guy like Ilya Sorokin that can steal games and bring that consistent effort to give your team a chance to win every game and give you five or six or seven goalie wins throughout the course of the 82-game stretch, um, you're going to be in the mix. Can they get enough scoring? Well, that's where Bo Horvat and Matthew Barzell are going to have to have to come through. But just looking up and down uh, their roster, um, you got some good depth players when you look at Casey Zizekas and Cal Clutterbuck. Um, and then you go a little bit down further. I mean, Anders Lee has always been a very consistent uh, player for them in terms of production and obviously meaning what he does uh, to the locker room. And then you look at uh, the back end for this Islanders team and Adam Pellick, Ryan Pollock, uh, a really good pairing there, strong, stout, but I, I think this team lives and dies with the goaltending and can Elias Sorokin replicate and exceed what he did last year. Uh, that'll certainly be a, uh, a big task. And uh, if that's going to, uh, if this team wants to accomplish this year in terms of getting to the playoffs, uh, Ilya Sorokin is going to have to be uh, the, the biggest piece of the puzzle, I think. You have the New York Rangers as well. And welcome back, Sin. You are here with us. Uh, as we get to talk about your favorite team, the Rangers, your favorite defenseman in the NHL, Adam Fox. Uh, <laughs> we'll see again. He might be still having some issues on his side of things. But in talking about the Rangers, they are one of those teams that have been kind of stuck in that uh, grouping of all right we're waiting to see it in the playoffs yeah. and they still have the roster that could do it the core guys of Kreider, Sabanajad, Panarin obviously someone like Fox leading the way defensively um, and then you get the younger talents the Lafreniere's the Capococos who might not have been able to kind of hit that expectation of a first and a second overall pick but are still contributors to this team you get the veteran presence now of a Blake Wheeler on league minimum, which is crazy to me. Oh, and then, yeah. oh, yeah, you still have one of the best goaltenders in the world in Igor Shesterkin. Uh, it's another team where if you were to tell me right now on October 5th that the New York Rangers are going to win the Stanley Cup, I'm not going to be shocked. Yeah, yeah, there is uh, a lot of cases to be made, I think, for the top three teams maybe you could stretch it to four but for sure the top three teams uh, in the metro uh, that have stanley cup aspirations to be lifting lord stanley um in june of 2024 um, and i think when i look at the new york ranger rangers and, and i look at strength um, i look at the back end and you say the name adam fox as dynamic as it gets um as versatile as it gets. And then Jacob Truba, who is the ultimate, want him on my team, don't want to play against him, 
um, oh. with, with bringing that great leadership in the room and kind of similar to what we were talking about with Sorokin, um, obviously a little bit more support, more firepower that the Rangers have to be able to support a great goaltender like Igor Shostorkin. And I think this team um, has a lot of things going for it and, 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 and up front too. I mean, Kreider, Zabinijad, Panarin, what a line that is going to be um, this season. And can the kids come through? Can they take continue to take the next step? Lafreniere, Capo, Caco, so on and so forth. And two, new coach and Peter Laviolette, who is now coaching his fifth team in the Metro division. So he knows that division like the back of his hand. Um, and all the success that he's had in his career, 1,430 games with over 750 wins, the record speaks for itself. So that's also going to be a big part of, of whether this team can have a successful run, not just in the regular season, but when they do get to the postseason, which I think they will for sure. Um, and, and so we'll have to wait and see. But they, they certainly have all the makings, I think, that it takes um, to be a really competitive team, a good team. Uh, from the start of the year to the midpoint and into the end and then into the playoffs. When you look at the firepower they have up front with Panarin, Kreider, Zabinijad, Lavgrenier, and then the back end with a guy who I haven't mentioned yet, who I think is is as tough and mean as a defenseman as we do have in the National Hockey League, that being Keandre Miller. Um, they've kind of got a little bit of everything, including the goaltender. So this will be certainly a team that I am going to be very excited to watch uh, as this year commences. All right. Before we ran into a, a tech issue, we'll see how smooth I can make the audio on that. We were going to mention the New Jersey Devils and the Carolina Hurricanes as the top two teams from the Metro last season. The Devils, beyond exciting and what they were able to kind of accomplish last year and only looking to be better. Jack Hughes, Jesper Bratt, they get Tyler Foley for a discount. You have Timo Meyer sticking around long term, which is huge for them. But you're talking about another team where it's like, all right, the goaltending. What are we going to see in Akira Schmid uh, replicate what he did last season, especially when they're going head to head with some of the other teams in the division we've already talked about and the Carolina Hurricanes, who perhaps above anybody else in the NHL have been viewed as that team of when are you going to get to that next level? You're talking about a team that's now been swept in the conference finals in three straight appearances and or at least their last three appearances, obviously not three straight years, but they are still an incredibly well-built team. They add Dmitry Orloff on the blue line. Again, you can't really envision a scenario where Carolina's not in that mix of being a contending team. This is an exciting team, uh, obviously, but I think now that the expectations are where they are for the New Jersey Devils. This is where we're going to get a real good look uh, of what exactly this team uh, is made of. Um, Tugi, you bring up a great point in terms of goaltending, as we established um, when talking about the Islanders and the Rangers, where if you don't get goaltending, you're not going to have a very good opportunity to win on a consistent basis, at least. Schmid, Vitek Vanacek, are those guys going to be able to replicate what they did last year uh, in tandem uh, in the regular season and come playoff time. But this heart, this roster, it's hard to argue where you look at the back end. Um, you, know, you got Dougie Hamilton there, who is one of the better D in the national hockey league. When you talk, talk about offensive uh, capability um, and up front too, what a year last year for Jack Hughes, right? 99 points, 
all sorts of notoriety for that, and rightfully so. Um, Nico Hishier, who uh, I think for me uh, really kind of had a, a bit of a, a coming out party um, in terms of kind of proving, yeah, I, I can not only be a good two-way player, but I'm going to be able to put up 80 points um, and, and be one of the better centers uh, in the league. So this is a, a very exciting team. And another guy, too, that, that caught my eye from his first couple of games has been Dawson Mercer, a guy that can flat out fly. He could score. If he gets 25 or 30 goals this year, if he pushes 30, I'm not going to be surprised at all because he's got those intangibles of a great shot, but also goes to the hard areas and and is not fearful and he's not a perimeter player. And oh, by the way, I think for the third time, he's pretty fast too. So uh, this is obviously a very exciting team and uh, they're going to be right there. I think it's going to be neck and neck uh, between them and the Carolina Hurricanes. But when you compare the teams, very different uh, time frames, I think, right? Carolina Hurricanes have been one of the best teams in the league here for the last couple of years. New Jersey Devils, they're on the come up. And their top players are very much, I wouldn't even say they're in their prime yet. I mean, they're, they're coming into it. And I think it's a very, very valuable playoff experience last year for some of those top players um, for the New Jersey Devils. So, again, they're going to be right there. I think it's going to be one and two, them and the Carolina Hurricanes, uh, who ends up topping who. Uh, that'll play itself out, but uh, a team that certainly has a lot going for it. And now I can't emphasize enough how important that playoff experience was for them last season. Sin, is Dawson Mercer still a sore spot given he did not go to the Sharks in the Timo Meyer trade? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's incredible. Uh, it makes sense. You don't want to give him up. He's a big, big part of, of your team. I'm still happy with who we got in, 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 the, uh, in the deal. But also, yeah, I'm interested to see if Nemich is going to start working his way onto that roster too. I mean, I, the devil's defense is, is pretty good. Oh, what was the name of that, that kid that they had on the back end in the playoffs? He was big and I'm Kevin Ball. Blank. Thank you. Yes. Yes. He, <laughs> I mean, already like they, they still have a lot. I don't think they're extremely stacked on the back end. So I could see a place for Nemich becoming, being able to come in at least maybe midway point of the season. If he doesn't make that, make that lineup and, or uh, make an impact or something like that. Like, I don't know. Like, he's probably still playing in Europe. That's probably where he'll be. But I think he there's a place for him when if, if he would be ready. Yeah. That's a fair point. With that, Nick, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, this was a lot of fun, and I think clearly we discovered that, uh, oh, we might need an even earlier start <laughs> for the next time. So if, I thought we'd have plenty of time to get through everything we wanted to get through, and we still made it. Uh, but obviously, having to shortchange some topics a little bit. But this was a lot of fun, and it was uh, great to finally have you on the podcast here. And you are uh, more than welcome back uh, at any time. Tugi, Sin, thank you guys so much. This was uh, uh, a lot of fun for me. I uh, would love to uh, would love to come back on whenever we can talk hockey, we can talk video games, whatever uh, whatever floats our boat. But. Uh, you guys keep up the great work. Uh, thanks again a lot for having me. And uh, I know one thing's for sure uh, is that the hockey community and the uh, EA Sports NHL and gaming community is better for having you guys in it. So keep up the great work and I'm looking forward to a, a wonderful season ahead. With that, of course, you can catch Nick on the Signals from the Deep podcast available on, uh, well, your audio platform of choice, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the whole deal there. Uh, Nick, anything else uh, aside from the podcast there to promote? 
Um, well, if you want to watch the Kraken and you want to see me spout some stuff that may or may not be useful, I guess, depending on who's watching or listening, uh, all of our games are on, on Root Sports, uh, which you can find on ESPN Plus. Uh, if you ever want to watch the uh, watch the Kraken games, watch the Kraken feed. So, uh, yeah, Signals from the Deep is a podcast. Looking forward to diving uh, even deeper into that this year. And uh, it's been uh, just an incredible run so far. So um, can't wait to get this season going. And I'd be remiss if I didn't say, go Kraken. <laughs> there you go. With that, of course, you can catch Sin on the uh, Twitter side of things at SinFTWProd. On the YouTube side of things, at Sin for the Win Productions, of course, NHL 24 content out in full force. Sin, what do you have going on on that side of things? Yeah, doing the uh, Boston Bruins franchise mode, and uh, that's that's been a blast so far, as well as a, a, a be a pro career mode, too. And I got some other things coming down the pipeline, but those are the two main things that I have got to start with every year. Fun fact, I also have a Bruins franchise that I'm going to try to keep up with. Uh, we didn't get into too much NHL 24 talk today. Um, it's because we wanted to keep this as a positive podcast. <laughs> but hey, uh, there's hope for the future, right? I hope so, at the very least. You can catch me everywhere at 2K24, of course. I'm sure you know that. Again, a gigantic thank you to Mr. Nick Olchek for joining us here. And we will see you all next week. It's the start of the NHL season. And the Bruins still have Pavel Zaka as their one seed.